Welcome to Vossa, celebrating Pacific and Papua New Guinean voices and discussing our future. Vossa is a storytelling project driven by experts and creatives in the region with support from the World Bank in the Pacific and Papua New Guinea. Bulavinaka, my name is Arieta Rika and I am your host. Welcome to episode two of Vossa. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to start by saying a big thank you, Vinaka Vakalevu. It has been incredible watching the engagement and the Vossa community grow after the airing of our very first episode. Today on the show, we're discussing a sensitive topic that affects our region deeply. That is domestic violence. As this episode goes to air, we are in the middle of the 16 Days of Activism campaign which was kicked off on the International Day of Elimination of Violence Against Women on 25 November. This year, the campaign has a dedicated focus on informal workers whose lives and livelihoods have been acutely impacted by COVID-19. As you'll soon hear, we delve into this in this episode. Now, we're specifically addressing domestic violence against women today, However, we of course acknowledge it is an issue that affects all genders, ages, abilities, and nationalities. Today, though, we'll focus on women's experiences. The COVID-19 pandemic has sent shockwaves across our economies in the Pacific and has had implications on the safety of women and girls. Many factors can increase domestic violence, and we know from evidence internationally that a sudden spike in unemployment and a decline in household income are two such factors. Our guests today are inspiring local and regional voices who are working to address gender-based violence and to change the complex social and cultural norms which enable violence to be perpetuated and defended. First, we are joined by Yvonne Kennedy from the PNG Business Coalition for Women. Yvonne's work focuses on using business as an avenue to address gender-based violence and create safe spaces for women. Also in today's Talanoa is Reverend James Bogwan, General Secretary for Pacific Conference of Churches. Reverend James is well known across the region for his work in climate change and supporting the most vulnerable members of our community in the Pacific. Also joining us from Vanuatu is Yasmin Bionem the founder and executive director of Sister Magazine, a charitable association for women and girls. Yasmin is a passionate advocate for using communications as a tool for positive change in empowering women. I hope this episode sparks a discussion in your household or in your community and supports the great efforts of the many individuals and organizations working in this space. We have included links in our show notes for anyone who finds the content of this episode distressing, or if you would simply like to learn more about this topic and how you can help. I'm really pleased and so grateful that you've been able to uh, join me today. Um, as you know, today we are talking about domestic violence against women. I've very uh, intentionally selected each of you for your different perspectives. So I'd like to start with yourself, Yvonne. Um, in your role in uh, PNG's Business Women Coalition, I'm really interested to know how has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted the current status of domestic violence against women uh, in Papua New Guinea? 
Um, yeah, so we have had a lot of feedback. I think in the early days we weren't actually sure how it had impacted um, women and um, um, and children, um, but now we've got statistics in that um, the One Top Counselling Helping Line, which is a counselling line for survivors of family and sexual violence and also a referral information line, that the calls in that period have increased by 300%. So um, we know that um, they're um, not only the formal sector, so the area I work in, so the business community, but um, people who live on the informal sector are being impacted by coronavirus. I suppose I'm, I'm interested as well with these impacts that we're seeing. Can I ask, as well as what's happening with COVID-19, what intersection can you see with tradition and culture with these factors? Can you see any interaction or any, any intersection there with the impact? Um, when we look at tradition and culture in Papua New Guinea, we're so diverse here in so many different ways. And um, these conversations around culture um, are ongoing and because we know that culture is continues it's dynamic and it doesn't stand still and we're just trying to understand that for ourselves in all honesty so we know that um, yes violence is prevalent we know that um, violence is increasing and in different ways and different forms and we're trying to understand how we can bring some of our our understandings of, of culture and how we traditionally um treated women and children um, as part of the solutions around that. Yeah, so um, look, thank you, Yvonne. I definitely uh, understand it's a huge question and I might shift it over to yourself, Reverend James. Um, can you, I guess, give us a, an insight into what's happening in Fiji, what the current state is with the overlay of COVID? Um, thank you, Arietta. Uh, of course, we, we recognise that there have been... Um, uh, a spike uh, in domestic violence cases uh, as a result of COVID-19, particularly looking at two factors. One is the impact of the lockdowns where you have people who don't usually uh, spend, uh, you know, in, in, in the Pacific, we, we tend to live in extended family situations. Normally, you don't have everybody congested under the same roof uh, for long periods of time. What we're finding now is, of course, as a result of lockdowns, you're having um, a strain uh, in terms of uh, people being uh, locked in together for protected, protracted periods of time. Um, that's one. You've got uh, strain on uh, the resources within the household in terms of uh, you know, food and other resources. Um, loss of jobs is the next one. Um, where you've got uh, in a region which relies heavily on uh, on trade uh, and particularly on exports and uh, and then on tourism, so those uh, factors exacerbate uh, an ongoing challenging situation when it comes to uh, domestic violence, be it uh, sexual gender-based violence or violence against uh, women and uh, violence against children. Um, so you know that that. That's really the, the, the issue around COVID. Um, but if you expand on that, and, you know, when we talk about violence against women, we're not just talking about physical violence. We're also talking uh, 
um, you know, and, and emotional violence, etc. We're talking uh, economic violence. We're talking structural violence. Those issues continue to be at the forefront because, at the end of the day, uh, our, the majority of our cultures uh, expect the woman to be the the one who runs the household, who ensures that there's food for the family, etc. And so, when you've got, um, you know, people squashed together in households, you've got uh, lack of employment and finance coming in. You've got the trauma of COVID-19, even if the if the country does not have um, uh, community infections, uh, that may lead to the uh, overconsumption of kava and other things. So all these strains on the family will uh, have undoubtedly led to a spike in, um, in domestic violence. And then, of course, as I've said, you've got uh, structural violence. In the context of um, of religion um, or faith, um, you know, here I really want to um, to acknowledge that we're in a region where probably about ninety percent of the population identify as as Christian and hold a a worldview that's shaped by their faith, um, and that places an important um, uh, burden on the on faith communities to really work as uh, agents of social transformation and partners in ensuring that uh, we have safe and peaceful communities and homes. But as the church, uh, you know, and I've said this uh, on a number of occasions, so I don't mind saying it again, you know, we have confessed our negative contribution to the structural violence enacted on women of all ages and social status in the Pacific. We have patriarchal uh, structures of leadership and decision-making, biblical interpretation and attitudes towards uh, women in faith communities, which continue to underpin the psychological, emotional, physical, uh, sexual, and economic violence that uh, Pacific women um, have to endure. So, you know, we, we, we need to continue to acknowledge that and that there's huge abuses of power and trust experienced by women and children in our, in our Pacific, um, Pacific churches and Pacific communities. Thank you, Reverend James. I think that gave us a lot of context, a really helpful, uh, I suppose, uh, understanding what different factors exacerbate violence against women. And there's a lot happening, um, you know, and I, I imagine that this is obviously not something new to us. However, um, we have new factors such as COVID and um, the economic pressures and then the social pressures that come with that. And, and um, you know, very interesting that you mentioned about what part religion and faith can play and how it helps and how it's been unhelpful in the past. So thank, thank you for that. Um, what are our unique perspectives as Pacific Islanders and, and as Papua New Guineans in terms of how do, we, how do we move towards meaningful change? What are they, you know, rather than expecting people to come into our region and give us solutions, what are solutions that we think are best in approaching this? Um, so, Yvonne, I might start with you and hand it over to you from, with a Papua New Guinean perspective. Wow, that's so interesting. I, I mean, and we are, we're so diverse and we do have, um, even when it comes to um, solutions um, around violence, we're diverse as well. So um, what I would say is that for Papua New Guinea and, I mean, I suppose they're, they're right in saying that, yes, I guess the highlands, it's a, it's a pocket, they do... Um, uh, culturally, but different, but also very similar 
to um, coastal people. And so when we see ourselves as Papua New Guineans, we need to see all of us as part of the solution. Um, but having said that, we need to go back down to the community and identify community solutions. So part of um, the biggest problem here is that a lot of our solution building isn't resourced by government. Uh, we have significant issues and as you're probably um, all aware, we don't have any women in Parliament, so it's very hard for us to get a voice in decision-making and make it a, an issue of significance that it needs to be. So we really need people in key leadership roles and we need women in those key leadership roles to bring our voice to the solution. And women here for a long time have been the ones who've been advocating for change, who've um, created change around our laws, um, who created change around safe housing and other services, which are largely funded by international donors. And for solutions to be really impactful, we need national resourcing from government. And I do believe that the solutions also need to be community-driven because we are so diverse in Papua New Guinea. And that involves all of the um, players in those communities, including the church. We um, are also a Christian country and we call ourselves a Christian country and churches are in every community in um, Papua New Guinea. And um, so I, I believe that the churches, as well as other stakeholders, including civil society um, and individuals in those communities um, are, need to be part of the solution. But there needs to be leadership um, and that has to come from government. Yeah, Yvonne, what I'm hearing from you is that we need women in key decision-making roles and we need everyone to come to the table for, in order for us to make long-lasting change. And, and Yasmin, I saw you agreeing strongly there with Yvonne and I wanted to open it up to you. What are your thoughts on this uh, from, a, uh, from a perspective coming from Vanuatu? No, I totally agree with everything that Yvonne said. Papua New Guinea is the same in terms of Vanuatu of being, I think we're one of three countries in the world where we have no woman um, in the highest decision-making body of our country, parliament, you know, and I do believe if we have women in these key decision-making spaces, we will finally be able to make this change and it does need to come for the government. Um, I believe uh, we have one service provider here, the Vanuatu Women's Centre, um, to assist legally um, with women who are facing violence. Um, they provide housing, uh, temporary, sorry, uh, emergency housing and whatnot, but they are 100% funded by Australia. And the same with our police force. I believe 36% of our budget in the police force, including the Family Protection Unit, um, is funded by Australia. So everything Yvonne said, I feel her and I think it very, very much reflects Vanuatu. Thank you, Yasmin. Uh, and also going off what a key point that you made there, Yvonne, about um, the, the church needs to come to the table with this as well. So I wanted to open it up to yourself, Reverend James, if you'd like to respond to that and, and give your thoughts um, on this as well. I'll respond in, in maybe two parts. The first, really, <clears throat> when we look around um, the, the issue that uh, has been raised about uh, women in leadership, and uh, again, as we know, historically, the church has been 
patriarchal in that sense. Um, but um, here at the Pacific Conference of Churches, we've already had uh, two general secretaries who are women. Uh, we're at a time where we have the general secretary of the Pacific Islands Forum, although she's finishing her term, uh, is a woman and continues to advocate for that issue, around that issue. Um, at PCC, the, the, most of the uh, program uh, managers are, are also women here at, uh, in the work we do. And there's been a commitment uh, from the Pacific Conference of Churches General Assembly in Auckland in 2018 to, uh, to work on this issue of structural violence, huh? uh, gender equality, if we want to call it that, um, and, um, and how we engage in that um, to ensure more leadership. And if we can reflect that somehow in our church communities, then we should be able to reflect that should have some impact on, on, on society. But one of the excuses that people give uh, with, around the two, both in the issue of, of addressing um, gender-based violence or domestic violence, and uh, on this issue of, uh, of uh, equality, um, is they usually use one or two things. They're either going to use culture and tradition um, as an excuse, or they're going to use uh, the Bible as an excuse. And so what we have been engaging in, and I'm very grateful to the two uh, sisters from uh, Papua New Guinea and, uh, and Vanuatu, because I know some of the churches that are trying to engage in that work in those countries. So one of the things that we've been engaging in is what we call gender equality theology. And that's really around uh, identifying those biblical texts that are often used to um, to um, uh, subjugate women, uh, both domestically in the very famous uh, uh, passage from the book of Ephesians, wives submit to your husbands. Uh, everybody likes to quote that one verse, but they forget that the next six verses after that are about men and their roles as loving partners and what that love means from a, from a Christian perspective. And that in fact, that, that both are to submit to Christ, but then looking at, at, at other biblical verses as well and, and really explaining it in its context and helping people to understand that it affirms uh, the mutuality in, 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 uh, in relationship between husband and wife. Going right back to Genesis, where they are created, men and women are created equal in the image of God um, in the first uh, story of, of creation. And what that does is it, it does two things. One, it places... Um, the human rights approach, which sometimes people feel is countercultural to our Pacific culture and values, because it's based on individual rights and dignity as opposed to our communal aspects, it takes that uh, head information, if you like, and applies the, the language of the heart, our, our spiritual language, um, and so unpacks it in that sense so that people can understand that, um, no, in fact, your faith, this is actually enhancing your faith rather than challenging your faith. Um, the other is it moves religion away from being an excuse for patriarchy, which is very important. Um, obviously, there are those who uh, uh, perhaps uh, don't want to subscribe to this view uh, because of their own personal views, but then they have to acknowledge that uh, these patriarchal views or you know, misogynistic views are their own and not uh, the faith perspective. Um, 
and that then means that we really have to look at our cultural um, institutions as well. Yeah, I think, um, Reverend James, you've made a lot of great, fantastic points there. Thank you. In terms of um, cultural norms, I think, how do we embrace new ways of protecting vulnerable people while, I guess, protecting some cultural norms that are helpful? Um, is that something that's that you feel is relevant? Um, because obviously there, there are cultural norms which are not helpful and actually harmful to women. Um, but how do we, in your view, strike that balance? I think Yvonne mentioned it earlier that culture is not static. You know, from the context of Fiji, we have women chiefs, we have women high chiefs, you know, um, and we need to celebrate those things. So, you know, looking at, as you said, those aspects of our culture, which are uh, life-affirming, uh, holistically life-affirming, and being very aware and conscious and calling out and respectfully engaging in the, whether it's Talon or whatever dialogue uh, term you want to use, engaging respectfully in the, in the dialogue around those uh, cultural norms that are not uh, affirming life. Uh, and affirming the dignity of, of of all people, especially of women. You've got people who are really stuck and entrenched in that way of thinking that we've got to encourage and move along. But at the same time, knowing that you've got to be working on the current and the next generation of leaders, uh, you know, so you can do only so much with those who are entrenched now. How do we work with those who are up and coming with our young people, particularly our young men? And that's the other issue of addressing what is, uh, uh, you know, what is good type of masculinity, what is toxic masculinity. And that's a role that uh, I think a lot of our male leaders need to engage in, addressing the issue around, uh, you know, positive and toxic masculinity. What do safer communities look like to you? And what, you know, and I say this um in terms of what's the vision for the future? What are we all working towards? Um, what are we hoping to hand on to the next generation? And, you know, for me personally, I see I'd love to hand over a safer community than the one that I was born into, um, for women especially. Um, but I am very interested to hear all of your thoughts and I'll, I'll hand it over to yourself, Yvonne. Yeah, I think that's a really important question because I think that's where we need to focus. We need to focus on creating safer spaces and we've actually started a dialogue here in PNG around, well, what could that look like? Because um, previously in Port Moresby, you could walk around as a woman and not feel um, threatened. Um, but if you, for me, um, doing that now, it's different. I, I feel like I'm very mindful of my circumstances, um, my surroundings. And also, if you go into the city in Port Moresby, um, I'd love to walk down the street and be able to have spill-out shops um, to go um, past. So physically in Port Moresby, I could see what it could look like if our Port, our Port Moresby, our greater Port Moresby, um, was safer. And then the question then is like, well, how do you do that? How do we um, create safer spaces? And I think that's where we need to individually involve ourselves in every facet of influence we can if we do want to create safer spaces. Um, I think that we talk about, you know, resources, we talk about government, um, 
but in our own lives, how can we also start to influence? And in my position at the Business Coalition for Women, we can influence through the business community and raise um, our voices through the private sector, which we have been doing, and that's been growing momentum over the last um, couple of years. And we have seen change started to happen there. Yeah, I, I believe it too. And I strongly agree with you, Yvonne, that creating safer, safer communities is everyone's business. We can't, uh, as you know, you've both said uh, that we can't rely on um, the powers that be, so to speak, to push this change for us. And um, I think it's, yes, change definitely needs to happen um, in decision-making, uh, I guess, in, across policy, in government, and um, also in our communities on a community level. So uh, I suppose, um, Yasmin, I'll hand it over to yourself. I'd love to hear what your thoughts on what does a safer community look like for you through your eyes and through your work? Um, thanks, Arietta. Um, you know, with the work that I do with Sister, one of the biggest things is engaging with young people um, and a wider audience and using social media as a platform to do so. Um, I'm a really big believer in dialogue. I really think that's all you need to do. Just communicate. When you communicate, you connect, and that's where the love comes in. You know, there's no, it's always this ongoing dialogue, always ongoing. And I wanted to create a space where we don't just talk about gender equality or any violence against women and girls um, just on International Women's Day or 16 days of activism. It needs to be something that's done every single day. And um, it has been amazing to see um, how Sister has progressed. And I think we've had a little bit of influence in trying to get this dialogue going. And it starts with little simple things. Um, and like for me, those little changes is like, let's, let's, let's keep communicating and talking about everything and taking away the shame, allowing people to make mistakes, allowing us to sort of, you know, come together and learn together because it is quite a big change. This is like, I don't think, I mean, I, I can see that the young, young, as the generations go by, we are definitely advancing towards gender equality, but it's that constant dialogue. You can have as much, um, programs coming into our countries and funding, but it's behavioral that for me is the key thing. And I really believe in media and communications and arts to do that, trans to help with that transformation. You know, and I'm seeing, yeah. it, already. I'm seeing yeah. it already happening. It's definitely happening. It's amazing. And the way to bridge the gap is, I think, communication, as you said, and, and storytelling and similar to what we're doing now, but, you know, I think the offline conversations are a lot more powerful or even just as powerful it can be um, in terms of shining a light on what people are going through, what experiences that they've been through. However, our young people are shifting, are changing, and I'm actually really, really proud of that. And um, I guess um, I wanted to, even though that's that was the third and final question, I wanted to give you both an opportunity to share any other thoughts um, on this topic. Feel free to to share anything else that you think is needs to be said in this in this forum that we have here. Yeah. Well, I'm probably just going to run off what um, Yasmin said because um, I believe also in the arts and um, different mediums and messages and I think that as Pacific Islanders, and I'm going to call Papua New Guinea part of the Pacific, as Pacific Islanders we have um, this um, visual um, way of messaging 
and and storytelling and storying. And I think that we need to embrace our own stories and tell our own stories and tell the world our positive stories because there are um, really good stories to be told around um, how we are creating safer spaces and how that narrative is changing. And I, I hope that we continue to be part of that dialogue and I think my organisation will be and I hope that I can share with other organisations such as Yasmin's and also the Reverend and connect and we can continue to have that dialogue in the Pacific around the good things that we're doing to address this issue and we see it as a significant issue but culturally we've also previously seen it as a significant issue. It's not a, a new issue and we did have ways of working through these issues. It's 2020. Um, let's talk to the next generation, the young people. Let's um, bring their thoughts into this. There's the urbanised youth. There's the youth in the villages. And there's youth that have left our shores but want to connect again to our shores. So um, I'm feeling positive. It's a huge issue, absolutely. But um, I think that there are key people who want to make change and um, definitely the youth have to be involved in that. I think that's uh, fantastic, Yvonne, and I also agree with you that I feel that our young people, like we have an opportunity here to, um, as I said earlier, the leave behind a safer community than what we inherited and everyone needs to come to the conversation and I think that there are definitely layers to this conversation and, and I think it's something that we can explore in future episodes. Um, but, yeah, look, just thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, thanks for inviting us, um, Arita. And I just wanted to add around the male engagement because I think that's where we are at the moment as well. Is, um, so we've just done a consultation with the business community around uh, men and men's perspectives around this and um, how do they think that they should be or could get involved and we're creating a working group and then at the end of the year a live forum. So be, I'll invite you to link into our live forum around male engagement because it's such an interesting one because you have men who think that if they get involved they um, don't want to um, sidestep the work that the women have done or, or they're like, well, we'll just run off with what we want to do and not necessarily communicate with the women who already have done quite a bit of work in this area. So it's about how can we partner and continue to work to address this issue of uh, violence. And, yeah, let's, like you've all been saying, thanks for inviting us for this conversation because it's so important to just keep that dialogue going in our respective countries, um, but in the Pacific at large as well. And that concludes today's Dalanoa on Bossa. Thank you for joining us, and I'm really interested to know, what did you think? I'd love to hear your thoughts and insights. Join the discussion on social media via Vossa Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, please keep an eye out and an ear out for our next episode, which will focus on connectivity and the improvements that greater internet access over the years has allowed for people in the region. For now, thank you again, Vinaka Vakalevu, and I look forward to sharing our next Dalanoa on Vosa with you soon. Bye.